Thanks for joining us at the Montrose Church Podcast. For more information, please visit us at montrosechurch.org. Have a great day. Eric's doing pretty good. I am too. So's James. New microphone. How you like it? Look good? Brand new, brand spanking new. Didn't even know, just put it on. Changed things up on me. So we uh, are wrapping up this series called Attitude Matters. It doesn't seem terribly profound, does it? Attitude Matters. It turns out attitude matters. Attitude matters. I'll be glad when this one's over so we don't have to think about how much our attitude matters anymore. Amen. <laughs> I just get back to having my other old attitude and just living in that. And it seems like if there was ever a time in the life of the church, but, but far beyond that, into the, our own homes and families, into the way the divisiveness has gotten down inside of our relationships, if there's ever been a time to say out loud, attitude matters, it's right now. And what would be terrible is to spend six or seven weeks in the book of Galatians wrestling with the issues surrounding attitude and then to go out from here and have a bad attitude. That Wouldn't that be awful? I mean, that would cause you to question your call. And I've been thinking about these words this week, so brace yourself. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. It's almost like Jesus is saying, people are going to see you. What they see may be a question, but they are going to see you. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. And maybe you know that you're saying, well, you're playing fast and loose with the exegesis there. I don't think that's what he was saying. Because he does later then follow it up with this little editorial piece. Therefore, let your light shine in such a way that they see your philosophical arguments. Because we do like to make this spiritual journey philosophical, don't we? No, I, I am having a good attitude. You just can't see it under all of the righteousness. I, am, I got layers of righteousness hitting you right square in the face, and you just can't see my good deeds. So he gets it out of that philosophical, and he says, so that they see your good deeds. And because of the good deeds and the nature of the deeds, they immediately think, this can't be about this person. They can't be that nice. They can't have that good of an attitude. See how I did that? I brought that back to that attitude thing. <laughs> that they see your good deeds and they immediately go, I'm giving praise to the Father in heaven because this is an otherworldly kind of love and grace that's getting expressed. This isn't the normal kind. This is a different kind. And so Paul now, as he begins to wrap up this letter, he's going to leave them with some ideas about fruit. And he's going to say, here's some fruits that you shouldn't, you should be really not bearing these fruits, and here's some fruits that you ought to be taking care of. And I think it's a, it's a great way in which he leaves the letter because he's, he's giving us these tools 
And the tools are, you kind of watch over here and you go, uh-oh, I think my light is shining in such a way that they may be seeing something less than good deeds. And then you can look over here and go, yeah, I must be rightly connected to the vine because the fruit that's growing out of my life is reflective of that connection to the Spirit of God. There's a consistency in that whole process. It would seem to me that as we think about that this morning and kind of bring this series to a conclusion and step off into our next series, which is our Lenten season, uh, and I, if you're new here, let's talk about the schizophrenic nature of our church. We're not highly liturgical, and yet we do celebrate Lent, and we, we find it a, a really great time to just become reflective. And so if you've never celebrated the Lenten season and good uh, Ash Wednesday with us, we invite you to come and be a part of that. Uh, we'll talk about what that looks like. And, uh, and the invitation is to just, let's be reflective. Let's spend the Lenten season the way it has been celebrated within the context of the Christian church for thousands of years. Let's look at ourselves. And let's let the Holy Spirit speak to us as we journey towards Easter and the celebration. So I think that there's a brilliance to this whole fruit concept. Because I don't know about you, but I can rationalize a lot of things. I can rationalize a lot of things about my behavior. I can rationalize a lot of things about what goes on in the world. And I think Jesus must have understood that because it was an intricate part of his teaching. Is let's get it out of your head and let's get it into somewhere else. How about this? You will know a tree by its fruit. You don't have to do a lot of extrapolating. You don't have to do a lot of philosophizing. You don't have to do a lot of complicated analysis because I don't know if you know this, but we are highly subjective people. And most of our subjectivism indicates that we're okay, but other people are a little nuts. Amen? I mean, we don't say that out loud. That's being polite. But underneath, somewhere, we're like, well, I got it together. I'm pretty good. I've said this over and over. If we didn't think it was right, we wouldn't think it. We'd think something else. So what we think, we think is right. And we're pretty, we're pretty attached to it. And we can rationalize almost anything. Oh, no, I'm, I'm bearing good fruit. No, I'm being loving. Though this is loving. I know it hurts, but it's loving. I know you don't feel love, but I trust me, it's loving. And Jesus speaks these words in the context of the Pharisees who have rationalized their behavior to the point, we get the irony of this, to the point that when the Son of God shows up in human flesh, they cannot tolerate or recognize him. That's, that's, a, that's some fancy rationalizing. <laughs> and so Jesus just simply says, listen, at some point, let's simplify this. It's about the fruit of your life. It's about what's getting born in the story of your life. Matthew 7:15. Watch out for false prophets. It's almost like Jesus knew. <laughs> they come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. We read this, we don't ever stop and go, why would you need to know this information? I mean, why, why would this be important? Well, because there are people in sheep's clothing that they're really not in it for the best things. So how do we figure this out? By their fruit, you will recognize them. 
Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. And I know what we'll do. We'll make this complicated. Well, now, exactly what do you mean by fruit? Because I know there's fruit that's sour, but it turns out it's good. It's just sour fruit that bears, you know. I think we know what it means, don't we? Like a good life bears good fruit. And if we have any question, Paul's going to wrap up this letter by telling us what the good fruit looks like. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. He's going to clear it up. Here's what the measure is, because we are so subjective about what we mean and what our intention is, so that Jesus says, listen, you, you can't really do that. If you live up here in your own head, you know, that's a, wherever you go, there you are. But sometimes you have to hover at 10,000 feet and look, and you have to just go, what kind of fruit is getting born in my life? What's really coming out of it? What are the real things, the good deeds that cause others to look up. Jesus has summarized it for us. He said, listen, here's what it all is about. You take away all the confusion. You take away all the pharisaical law. You take away all the layers and layers. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and love your neighbor as yourself. Upon these two things hang all the law. Turns. All the law and the prophets turn on this one point. And then as if that weren't enough, and we've said it every... I've tried to say this every single Sunday of this series, but if it hasn't come across clearly, let me take a moment now. Matthew 7, 12. Let me, let me boil it down even further. Treat other people the way you want to be treated. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. All the law and the prophets are contained in this phrase. And what a simple thing. Am I thinking about others the way I want to be thought of? Am I speaking about others in the way that I want to be talked about? Am I treating others? Am I regarding others? It seems so simple to get it down into these terms where it's hard. And this is where attitude really matters. Because I can't hide from this. I can't really hide from it. I'm to love others. I remember years ago when I went into my first biblical theology class, and uh, I, I still I'm scarred from this experience. Walter Kaiser, Toward an Old Testament Theology. That's the name of the book. That's the, the textbook is burning. My, it's on my shelf right now. I've thrown away many books. I don't throw this book away. It scarred me for life. And I remember the first day of class, I got the syllabus and I looked at it and I go, "This is going to be so. This is a joke." Because literally the writing assi- the reading assignments were five pages. Tonight read five pages. What? I'd not taken a class in college that had that little reading. The, the whole textbook was 126 pages long. The whole textbook for the whole semester. 26 pages long. I mean 126 pages long. I was like, this is going to be great. Opened that book up. Read the first sentence. And I said, uh-oh. I have no idea what this book is about. I don't know 50% of the words in this sentence. And the only ones I do know are the conjunctions that are holding the rest of the words together. (laughs) 
And I remember going down the hall and knocking on the door of somebody else in the class. And they said, did you start your reading yet? And he's like, no, I saved it till midnight because there's only five pages. And I'm like, you might want to read the first paragraph there. <laughs> 20 minutes later, there were five of us in the hall with a dictionary. <laughs> and we spent that semester learning a new language that we did not know. And, and I remember thinking, I've been in Sunday school my whole life. This is about the Old Testament. I can tell you the stories. How did it get so complicated? Now, by the way, I love that stuff, just so you know. But don't we take simple stuff and turn it into complicated stuff? And so when we say, love the Lord your God with all your heart and your neighbor as yourself, don't we make that more complicated? Because we rationalize and subjectivize that. Is that a word? Subjectivize all that stuff inside of us until we're like, yeah, I'm doing pretty good. What about the fruit? Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. So Paul now starts to wrap up the letter, Galatians 5.13. Listen to it. But you, brothers and sisters, were called to be free. But do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. This is new. We've never heard this before. Love your neighbor as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out, or you'll be destroyed by each other. So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. This is the point at which we're all thinking that these uh, fruits of the flesh are sexually related. Because that's what we do in church. We're like, okay, well, I'm in the clear because I haven't committed a capital crime in five minutes. So, you know, (laughs) just so we know, the fruits of the flesh are far broader they get into issues like, I don't know, randomly, attitude. The spirit that sort of swims around inside of us. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit, and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They're in conflict with each other, so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the spirit, you're not under the law. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I love that last line, and the like. <laughs> like, like that wasn't an exhaustive list. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. I think sometimes we read that and we go... So if you do any of these things, you don't get to go to heaven. (laughs) But I think Paul's actual intent is to say, if you live like this, you're not living in the kingdom of God. You're not experiencing the joy of the kingdom. You're not experiencing the beauty of what it is. When you die, you get to do, but what about now? (laughs) What about right now? But the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace and forbearance and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. Against such things, there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking, and envying each other. Wow. So a few things. I think what he's saying, number one, is that you and I should be free. That's good news, isn't it? How much freedom do you feel? We ought to be free. Uh, how many of you lived at a time when you went to church and they had testimony night at the prayer meeting on Wednesday night? Testimony time, all those hands. Let's see. 
you can see the thousand-yard stare from people who've experienced this. I bring it up because we used to, every Wednesday night, you know, people would stand up, and as young kids, disrespectful as we were, we could, we could quote every testimony because they were the same almost every week. I mean, every once in a while, you'd be like, oh, they don't usually testify. That's, that's new. But mostly, you'd be like, oh, okay, cue her. Okay, cue him. Okay, cue her. Okay. And we sort of kind of go, and I remember as a kid thinking this, man, we know everybody's problems. And they don't change much over time. And it doesn't feel like there's a lot of freedom. Amen? It doesn't feel like there's a lot of freedom. It doesn't feel like we're celebrating this graceful reality of how much God loves us and frees us to be people who have the hope of bearing the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. And I think sometimes it's, the lesson to be learned is it's like parents. You know, we want our children to be free. Amen? I mean, who did not want to have a child that was ready to be independent at age two? <laughs> Get in there and change your diaper and give yourself a bath. And why don't you feed yourself? You know. But as parents, we know that's not how it works. We ultimately want, our, we, we want to release our children into the world free unencumbered, unscarred, ready to thrive. Amen? But we know, we know that this is sort of a, a process, and the process is, hey, the more responsibility you demonstrate, the more freedom you get. How many of us as parents have had that conversation over and over? <laughs> oh, didn't act very responsibly? Okay. <laughs> so what Paul is saying is, listen, I, I want you to be free. You were created to be free, but you got to be responsible. <laughs> Don't, don't, don't throw out the freedom and take away the responsibility. And here's what really is interesting to me. I know, I know folks who, who are a part of the faith who have tremendous freedom, but not much responsibility. Awkward. The silence is just awkward. You should at least say amen that you're praying for those people. Because <laughs> it's none of us. <laughs> But I know people on the other end of that. They're all responsibility. And there's no freedom. Let your light shine in such a way that they see your good deeds and they give praise to your Father in heaven. If I live over here out of balance in the freedom world, I'm not letting my light shine. And if I live over here encumbered in this responsibility but have no freedom, who wants to be a part of that? It's this tension between these two things, this wonderful freedom we share, but this immense responsibility that comes with it. And they go hand in hand. Just like we parents understand it, God our Father knows it. Be free, number two. Be loving. You would think you wouldn't really have to write this one. <laughs> I want you to love each other. I want you to really and truly love each other. I want you to care. I want you to connect. I want you to get involved. I, I want you to do it in a way that people feel loved. Let's talk about that for just a second. No, I'm loving you. Don't feel like you're loving me. Feels like you're busting me in the chops. No, I'm just trying to help you with that responsibility, freedom thing that he was talking about. You know. People know if they're being loved or not, don't they? It isn't that complicated. 
I've said this over and over, you know, your plants in your house know. <laughs> Amen? They know. I mean, studies show. If you talk nice to your plants, if you're cheerful, your plants grow better. If your plants know the difference, trust me, people know the difference. It's hard to go around justifying. It's for your own good. It's for your own good. We do, we do know the difference between being loved. We know when we are in a space. And sometimes people who love us a lot say hard things to us, but, but there's space for that in these loving relationships. Amen? Amen? It's when somebody walks up and invades, and you're like, whoa, 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 whoa! <laughs> I'm just loving you. No, you're not. You're not. You're all up in my business. <laughs> I didn't invite you in here. <laughs> this vulnerable space. You got to earn your way into this little circle to speak these words. <laughs> we know the difference. Do we live like that? So Paul says to this group that he's leaving this message with, I want you to be free, and I want you to be loving. And then he finds it necessary to say this, and I want you not to bite each other. I love this. I mean, after saying, I want you to be free, and I want you to be loving, he finds it necessary to say, oh, by the way, and just don't bite each other. But that's not all he says. Don't bite each other, because you'll devour each other, and you'll destroy each other. It's interesting to me because we'll be like, well, I'm not really biting you. No, no, these are bite marks. No, I, I know teeth marks when I see them. Amen? Amen? I believe that these last couple of years, the politics, COVID, has created the largest church potluck in history. See, first service didn't get it either. Let me break it down for you. I believe this last few years of politics and COVID has created the largest church potluck in history because we have eaten each other alive in the kingdom of God and in the church of Jesus Christ. We have bitten and gnawed and devoured and destroyed. And I hope that the church of Jesus Christ can recover because it is hard, hard, hard to show your good deeds when you've got a big old mouthful of attitude in somebody else's flesh. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. All the law and the prophets hang right here. Attitude matters. You are the light of the world. You can't hide. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Therefore, let your light shine in such a way that they see your good deeds and give praise to your Father in heaven. Love each other. Don't bite each other. And then he says, don't have any flesh fruit. Don't have it. I'm going to read this in a second, but uh, I'm, going to, I'm going to talk about something that I don't know anything about and I didn't formulate well. So whatever comes out now, apologies in advance. When I think about human relationships and I think about what it means and what we're looking for, I think what we're looking for is what he describes as the fruit of the Spirit. What do I want from other human beings? I want love. 
I want joy. I want peace. I want patience and kindness and gentleness and faithfulness and self-control. My four daughters, what did I hope their husbands would be like? <laughs> Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. That's what I hope. And in our culture today, it seems like we have decided that flesh fruit somehow leads to spirit fruit. It's what our culture tells us. Indulge the flesh fruit and you'll end up with some love and joy and peace and patience. Because that's what we're after. There is no amount of flesh fruit that can get you over to spirit fruit. <laughs> and let me now say the other thing that I think. Unless you have spirit fruit, the flesh fruit is never fulfilling or meaningful. In fact, it's exactly the opposite of what we think. I got to find somebody full of love and joy and peace and patience and kindness so that this part can be a healthy, godly part. Now, I know that his list is not really talking about a healthy, godly kind of sexuality and relationship. Therefore, I didn't think it all through. And so I just, but I feel like it's important to say this out loud. Somehow we have taught generations that if you just play around in the flesh fruit, you will ultimately end up with the spirit fruit. But you don't. What you end up with is some sour flesh fruit that's unfulfilling and not meaningful. And you wonder why. Because the flesh fruit can't be very good if there isn't spirit fruit before. It's the spirit fruit that allows any sort of healthy flesh reality to exist. Side note. Now let's read the list of flesh fruit. You know, this is a hard enough list to read when you're skimming, much less when you slow down and kind of dig into it. Thankfully, we don't, we don't have many of these, so we're okay. Don't bear the fruit of sexual immorality. That's pretty self-explanatory. Don't bear the fruit of impurity. That means any fruit that would cause you to feel awkward in the presence of God. It's literally what the Greek word means. Debauchery. Oh, finally, we don't have that. We don't even know what it is. <laughs> Skip over that. It's defined as to know no restraint, but to do whatever any whim or lack of respect may suggest. That's so hard because that, you know, because I think we do capitalize this list as sexuality. And there are certainly sexual overtones in it, but it turns out you can be debauched about a lot of things. Any unrestrained whim. Anytime we indulge an unrestrained whim without regard to respect, we are in this mode of debauchery. Idolatry. That's the sin in which material things have taken the place of God. Witchcraft. Finally, one we're not really worried about. <laughs> Shoo! <laughs> Except originally what the word meant <laughs> is it meant the chemical enhancement of our bodies in order to have divine experiences. It, it meant enhancing ourselves. It, in fact, the word originally in Greek just meant chemical abuse. But then it became chemical abuse directly connected to some sort of spiritual enlightenment. 
It was like Jesus knew that the 60s and 70s were going to happen. <laughs> wow, you can't believe what I saw. <laughs> but somehow the invitation is to a life in which we actually seek to be fully conscious of the presence and the grace of a loving God. Hatred. And listen to how this word is defined. The tendency to be hostile towards other people. What? I thought it was to be really hostile towards other people. I didn't know it was any hostility towards other people. Discord. That's where rivalry, rivalries and differing points of view lead to quarreling and divisiveness. Well, we're in the clear on that one. No problems. Jealousy, the desire for what others have. Uncontrolled temper. Fits of rage. I think we're all okay. Let's read what it says. Bursts of anger that flare up and then die down. Well, that's awkward. I've mentioned to you that we just have a new grandbaby in Orange County, so we've been driving back and forth across L.A. <laughs> Selfish ambition. We want things for the wrong reason. Dissensions. Always being negative. Factions, not only disliking the point other people have, but disliking the people who have those points. Envy, grief at someone else's good. Drunkenness, probably self-explanatory. Orgies, hmm. <laughs> More accurate would be carousing. That would be the unrestrained enjoyment that leads to any loss of control. The unrestrained enjoyment that leads to loss of control. I mean, that's quite a list, isn't it? And I know in the church we've created this hierarchy of crimes, and the, you know, sexual crimes are the highest in the hierarchy of the church, except that's never how the scripture looks at it. The hierarchy of crime includes our sexuality, but it also includes our attitude and our spirit and the words we speak. It includes all of those relational aspects because we are to do what? We are to love the Lord our God and we're to love each other as ourselves. We are to treat other people as we want to be treated. On these things hang all the law and the prophets. And if we haven't gotten it yet, now he says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love. And it's joy. Joy. Why is it that we find cynicism to be more mature than joy. Because we do. I'm watching my grandkids, you know. And when they're like little, they have unrestrained joy. But it, it only takes them a little while to learn. Hey, how'd you like that movie? Eh. What'd you think of the new toy? Eh. Because somehow they've understood that to be a little more cynical is maturity. That's what their parents do, so they're going to do it. You know, I think a lot of us, you know, we have a hard time expressing joy. We just feel like, well, that'd just be silly. I'd be silly if I was joyful. But the fruit of the Spirit is not what we're concentrating. It's when we're rightly connected to the Spirit, this fruit grows in our life. Love and joy and peace. Who, who doesn't want to be in the presence of people who are a part of peace? Is that who we are? I mean, you and I know, we leave conversations sometimes with people, 
And a few minutes after we leave the conversation, our guts unclench. Amen? And we go, I didn't even know. I took my first deep breath in two hours. <laughs> Love and joy and peace and patience. I say it like this. Don't be annoying. And don't be easily annoyed. Amen? Patience. And gentleness. I mean, we do a lot of things in the name of Jesus. We don't, want, we don't mind being free, but we don't want a lot of other people. We want people to be responsible. And we're going to speak words over them. They're going to help them be responsible. But, but a fruit of the Spirit is gentleness. I'm pretty sure the Scripture says speaking the truth in love. And love is contextual. Love doesn't talk about the intent of my heart. It talks about the fruit of my spirit. <laughs> and it talks about what I've earned in relationship. Love is a context of relationship where I speak things that might be difficult only because I have earned the right in this relationship to speak such things. Faithfulness. Self-control. Are these the fruits of our lives? Is this what's coming out? And so Paul leaves then the Galatians with this call. I, I want you to practice grace, not legalism. And so that he then says, against such things there is no law. You can't get love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and gentleness and faithfulness and self-control out of legalism. It only comes from being rightly connected to the source of all of these things. God. It comes from a relationship with a loving God that then speaks into our culture you know what would be awesome? What would be awesome if a whole bunch of individuals said, you know what, I'm going to quit making this philosophical and complicated. And I'm going to make it super practical. I'm supposed to love other people. And, and they ought to be able to recognize. In fact, by this will all people know that you are my disciples by your love one for another. It, everybody will know when we start loving each other. <laughs> and them. And we won't have to explain it. No, no, I am loving you. We won't have to do that. No, I'm not biting you. Yeah, teeth marks. Real teeth marks. What would happen if as individuals we said, I'm committing to that. I'm just committing to it. The simplicity. I'm not going to listen to my rationalizing anymore. I'm going to look at the fruit of my life. And I'm going to get connected in a way. And I'm going to speak words that are consistent with the place that I'm connected to the spirit of a living, loving, holy God. I have freedom, but I have responsibility. And what would happen to a church full of a bunch of individuals like that? See, I don't think the church is out of style. It's just out of touch. <laughs> it just has become insular. It turns out you are the light of the world. You're it. City set on a hill cannot be hidden. Therefore, let your light shine in such a way that they see your good deeds and give praise to your Father in heaven. God, would you search us? Thank you for this wonderful letter, for Paul's passion for grace, for his passion to fight for the good things, love and connection and 
And would you help us? In fact, as we close and we sing these words together, would you hear the cry of our hearts, our response to your word? And of all the things that could happen in this journey through this wonderful letter, we would hate to leave it. To spend all these weeks talking about how much attitude matters and find ourselves with a bad attitude. So would you search us? Would you allow us in these closing moments and then through the course of this day to sit down and maybe write a few things that your spirit has spoken to us about specific, transforming. And may this be a place where we constantly treat others the way we want to be treated. We prayed in Jesus' name and everybody said together, Amen. Will you stand as we respond to the word? Thanks for joining us at the Montrose Church Podcast. For more information, please visit us at www.montrosechurch.org. Have a great day.